but they're no different than that because they do not allow the gifts of the Spirit to flow. I make a covenant with you to always allow the corporate gifts to flow at Metro Praise International. Can I hear an amen to that? We make a covenant to do that because we believe in the thus says the Lord of the Scripture, which is exalted above everything else as our final authority, but we also believe that God speaks in and through his people to confirm that word and to give it application. Can I hear an amen to that? So, for example, the Bible says to repent. But it doesn't know in this congregation, this scripture doesn't have the information or the knowledge of who needs to repent in this congregation right now. But God does. Somebody say God does. And how many know God is still talking? So God can talk through a prophet or a prophetess, you know, someone male or female, and say, hey, this is the word for y'all right now. (laughs) Amen. Y'all need to repent. You need to do X, Y, and Z to get right with God. And that doesn't contradict that, uh, the scripture. We don't write it down now and call it the first book of Lauren, you know, 1 Timothy, 1 Lauren. You know, we don't do that. But what we will do is take it serious. And now each person in their own conscience has to hear those words and pray on them, just like you hear these words, and decide whether or not you're going to listen to it. So we're not going to force you to hear the words of what we believe someone is speaking on behalf of God and to do it. We're not going to force you to do that, but we're going to say, take that serious. And how many know God is speaking in those moments and have received those words? I receive those words every time someone speaks, especially those who are trusted leaders that I know are hearing from God. Well, we're so glad that you're here with us today. We're still going through a sermon series about the new year and what we want to do as a church. Metro Praise International is our name, if you didn't know that already. And there's a reason for that name, and there's a reason for why we do what we do. Now, in the introduction to this, again, because we had Pastor Ray speak last week, how many thought that was awesome? Didn't he bless you guys? I was so blessed by Pastor Ray, man. That man's energy for being like 80 years old is amazing in a ministry over 60 years. I I just can't get enough of it. It is just amazing. And so I was so blessed by that. But I want to go back to what I was talking about before he he came. And thank you again for your generosity. We'll get you the number at the uh, beginning of February. But just generosity. You guys are generous people. We gave to his mission project. And so what I want to do is go back to this, why we do what we do. And when you think about uh, this local church, you have to understand where we came from. And, it, and this is good to remind everybody here because the body of Christ is not here by accident. The Christian church was established by Jesus, and we went through a sermon series on the church. How many remember that? Just a few months ago. Okay, and Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail. Well, now let's think about where we are today with that. We have denominations spread out all across the world. Many of them think they're the only ones. Orthodox think they're the only ones. Roman Catholics think they're the only ones. And then you have various other groups, the Coptics, the Ethiopians. You have the churches of the East and you have in, in Assyria. And you have all of these different churches that are competing for who they think is the best or the only one. And what we as Protestants are doing is saying they have all gone astray in some way or another, but yet they all all have a truth, and so we're not going to reject the history of Christianity through these movements, but we're going to believe, God, that he's bigger than those movements. Can I hear an amen to that? So a lot of times when people think of us as Protestants and we're protesting, they think that we're offering a new innovation of the church, that we're disrespecting the history of the church. Oftentimes, if you meet an informed Roman Catholic, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, like my uncles or somebody you know that's Roman Catholic that doesn't really know anything about their doctrine. I'm talking about an, uh, an informed Roman Catholic. They're going to question you on where you came from, where your doctrines have come from. How many have ever met an informed Catholic? And they're going to know their history, and they're going to know their councils, 
and they're going to talk about those things, okay? Well, when you meet one of them, what they're going to oftentimes accuse us of is that we are an innovation, that we are a heresy, that we're a group that divided off as Protestants in the 1500s, that we're something new where they can point to their establishment to way back when. And, and, and always what I want you to be able to do is, is go to them and say, bad Roman Catholic, <laughs> Bad Roman Catholic. I kind of want you just to slap their hands and go, you get your grubby little hands off church history because it doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. It's actually ours. In other words, if you go back into church history and you look at the church fathers and you look at where we came from, and if you could put up our blog, it's the, the disciples of the first disciples.blogspot.com. Please, I believe that's how we can get there. And then we'll go to the time frame there, the timeline. What, what they want to do, and they take advantage of Protestants this way. They honestly do. Every now and then, I mean, it's, it's far more greater Roman Catholics coming to Protestants, uh, Protestantism. But every now and then, they'll get them one. They'll get a little Protestant that kind of wanders over there or somebody like that. And, and they'll like to say, see, we taught them. We taught them. But no, what they really did was took advantage of a naive disciple. Now, this is one of the books that I don't have published, but I did it online. And it's uh, disciplesofthefirstdisciples.blogspot.com. And if you go to chapter 12, How the Church Became Dark, you'll see here uh, a brief d- timeline excuse me, of what we need to remind every church of. Somebody say every church. Oops, forgot how to drink water. Anybody ever did that before? We tried this again. I think I can do it. Mm, Worked that time. Go on down. Scroll all the way down there to the timeline, please. Okay, now I want you to think about this. If what they are saying is true about their doctrines, shouldn't they be able to show it from the very beginning, starting with the Scripture? Can you show me monks and nuns in the scriptures? No. So there had to be a time when that came in. Are you all listening to me? Well, here you go, around 575. Can you show me a pope in the scripture where he rules from Rome and he's over all the other churches? No. So you have to find a place in history. You look at around 590 with Pope Gregory being the first one. Okay, now just go and scroll down there uh, just for a little bit. Keep on going. Now we're going to go all the way past all these major events. We're going to get to the doctrines. Where did some of these doctrines come in? So, for example, do you see anywhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, them lighting candles to saints, those who have passed away, and then praying to them? No, but there has to be a time when that starts to happen, around the 300s. You start seeing them venerate. You start seeing them have these candles. You start seeing them have what would become formalized as a mass, not a spontaneous service. Like, let's just stop right here and just ask ourselves, just church itself, the gathering we're having right now, does this look more like the book of Acts or what St. Vitus is doing this morning? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. I mean, do you see any of that in the book of Acts? No, I mean, it's not even close to being in there. What they're meeting in is homes, they're having Bible studies, they're singing songs. That's literally, it says, all they're doing. They're listening to the Word. There, there are no extravagant altars. There are no bells and smells. There's not a person dressing up like a mother being called father, okay? And this is not to offend them. This is just to say, this is where it came from. Okay, now over time, they began to equal this to the scripture. So now if you ask them why they do what they do, what they'll basically say is, well, it's the same reason why you allowed Lauren to have a prophetic word. We believe that the prophetic word of God kept traveling through the apostles and the disciples of the disciples of the disciples, and this is what they told us to do. But here's the difference. When Lauren gave you a prophetic word, did she add to a doctrine in the scripture? Come on, yes or no? No, she didn't add to a doctrine, did she? But how many know venerating angels and dead saints? That's adding to a doctrine we call prayer. 
Because there's a place in the Bible that teaches how, how to pray. And does it start off with our mother who art in heaven? Does it start off with uh, the, the virgin of Guadalupe? Is that how the, uh, the, our father, the first prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray? No, so if somebody introduces me to pray to Saint Anthony, the, the saint of lost things, so my wife can find her phone, you know, pray to Saint Anthony, you know, pray to Saint Anthony. If someone introduced it, now you change the doctrine of prayer, okay? Does everybody get that? Priests began to dress, dress differently than the laity. Where in the Bible is there any garment assigned to a priest in the New Testament? Where is there any obligation of a priest to do X, Y, and Z as a formalized way of introducing himself as father, doing communion, holding it? Where do you see any of that? And yet, they want to say, we're like Jewish people, being consistent with the Scripture. But here's the problem. You go to a book in the Bible called Leviticus to learn about the Levi. How many know the Levi had a dress code? How many know they had a breastplate? How many know they had actions and things they had to do, even the blessings they had to recite? So it's illegal. It's illegal. It's against the biblical law to go back into their day and now put it into our day. In the book of Galatians, they tried that with one thing, circumcision. Somebody say one thing. I'm not talking about praying to saints. I'm not talking about introducing a clergy. I'm not talking about introducing all of these vain traditions. They just tried to introduce one thing into the Christian church that didn't belong. And Paul said, let them go all the way and just emasculate themselves because they've been bewitched. They're not even in Christ anymore. That's why this is dangerous. Can I hear an amen? Uh, you know, purgatory. Does the Bible talk about there being a middle place between heaven and hell? And most Catholics don't even have that right, but there's a pope that's not even really a Catholic now that confuses them, who basically is a universalist who thinks everybody goes to heaven because he's not Catholic anymore. That used to be a joke. Is the, you know, like, is it cold outside? Well, is the pope Catholic, you know? How many know it's cold outside? And the pope's supposed to be Catholic, right? The pope's not even Catholic. This one's not. There's many Catholics who are against that. But you go back into Scripture, and you begin to see there's not even a thing called purgatory. But even the original version of purgatory, it was for those that didn't commit mortal sins. And many Catholics are committing mortal sins, which is like sex outside of marriage, blasphemy, all these different things. And they think they're going to purgatory. They are not going to purgatory. They're going straight to hell by all kinds of doctrine, especially the scriptures. Can I hear an amen to that? But you want to know where that came from? Well, you can start here. You can look at it. Where did Latin become so popular? How many know the Bible's not written in Latin? But why are they speaking Latin all the time? They, they even have a Latin mass. You talk to the to traditional Roman Catholics, they think that they have something up on the others. There's called a traditional Latin Catholic. Uh, has anybody ever met one of those before? That's, that's one of the ones I just met when we were out there preaching, uh, Rudy, out there in Elgin. He was a Latin mass Catholic. He was proud of that. Almost like seriously, like he would go to a seance. And I'm like, do you really even understand Latin? No. <laughs> No, I don't understand Latin, but I like to go to it because I feel it's more traditional. Jesus didn't even speak Latin. I mean, he could have, but he didn't speak it in the Scriptures. The Scriptures are written in Greek and Hebrew. And yet you see these are kind of the foolish things that go on. And then you talk about kissing the Pope's feet, all these things that weren't allowed in the Scriptures, worshiping of the cross and images and then holy water. How many know that they have holy water in every Catholic church? Did you ever see that in the Bible? No, not in the New Testament, maybe in the Old Testament, the brazen labor that the priest would wash with. But once again, you're taking something that doesn't belong. Okay, so now, now that I've showed that to you, 
People then want to say to us, well, where, where do you guys come from? If you're not going to pick on us and you're going to show us in all these mistakes, where do you come from? This is where we come from right here, the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Now, they may be sassy, and they'll say something back to us like, well, where did you get your Bible from? And then they'll say, people in this time period helped preserve our Bible. And then we go, yes, they did. And guess what? They were right about that, but wrong about other things. Unless you don't know how to hold in your mind two opinions, how many know that's pretty rational to do? Some people are right about some things, other things they're wrong about some things, right? Like for me personally, I'm not telling you who to vote for, but if it comes back down to Trump and Biden, I'm voting for Trump. Not because I think he's right about marriage, not because I think he's right about a lot. It's just I think he's better than Biden. Are you listening to me? See, I can do that. That doesn't mean I approve of everything he does. Just like in your life, you go to your job, you like your job, but do you approve of everything at your job? So that's what you got to teach people. You got to teach people, listen, when it comes to the church, we're not disrespecting them holding on to Scripture. As we learned here uh, in, in the major events category, it had passed through there. You know, around the 700s, man, you got Islam rising up. Christians stood against them. Many of these folks are doing that. And then if you're asking me, who's going to heaven and hell? I don't know. I know the book of Galatians. Paul talked about it very seriously. But people during this time, I don't know if they're going to heaven or hell. I don't know how literal God is holding holding them to the things that I know are heaven and hell for me. God may be merciful to them out of ignorance. Maybe they didn't know better. I, I don't know that. But I can tell you this. They're going to be judged for it. Even if they go to heaven, they're going to be judged. They're going to be held accountable for this. Can I hear an amen? I know that the Bible is very literal for me. And I, I walk with the fear of God. I know if I turn to these things, I would be turning my back on Jesus. I just want to be honest about that. But when it comes to the Christian church and what we have now today, we can shake our fist at them and we can point our fingers at them, but now we have our own problems. And that is on every corner, you've got a church that doesn't get along with another church, another Protestant church that doesn't get along with another church, and then someone, you know, we've got even people in this church get upset, go down the road, start another church, and then all of these divisions come. So then they rightly say back to us, they say, well, you, you get on us because of all of this, but we'll get on you now because of all the divisions, all of the lack of unity, where at least if you go to St. Viders or go down over here to St. Bartholomew, at least it's going to be the same mass. How many know they got that right? You get my point there? But you know, you go over this church, you go over this church, it might be two different, entire different, different services. One you have speaking in tongues over here and singing songs with instruments. Another one you might be having a cappella singing hymns. And, and you know, one might allow women to be in ministry and another one doesn't allow women to be in ministry. So then they say all of this is division. Somebody say division. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. It's actually not. What it is is the body of Christ expressing itself. How many know a hand would be an ugly ear and an ear would be considered an ugly hand if you try to compare the two? But how many know an ear is an ear? Come on, y'all can't turn the Bible and say amen at the same time? I said, how many know if I said an ear is compared to a hand, that, you know, a hand's an ugly ear, or a hand's an ugly ear, or an ear's an ugly hand? How many know that would be wrong because I'm comparing two, totally two different things? An ear is not a hand. Okay? An ear is not a hand. A hand is not an ear. 
And so when we look at the scriptures, we see already from day one that there's differences, but the divisions were caused by people thinking they're better than one another. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, inform me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this one says... I follow Paul. Another one says, I follow Apollos. Another one says, I follow Kephas or Peter. Still another, I follow Jesus or Christ. Where was the division? Was the division in that there was uniqueness among these people's ministries? Yes or no? Come on, was that the division? No, the division was when people started saying, I'm with this one disregarding the other one. Oh, you got to get that. The beauty of the Protestant independent church of what we are and what we're a part of is that we can recognize Christ in all of those places. So the one who's actually divisive is not the one saying, I prefer this kind of service versus that kind of service. That's not divisive. The division actually comes when you excommunicate one for the other. This is called excommunicative cult attitude, excommunicative heresies. When you begin to think your group is the only one, in other words, that's actually what heresy means. When you go to Galatians chapter 5, and we can put that up there as well, and we see about the deeds of the flesh starting in verse 19, we see that some of the deeds of the flesh are seditions and heresies. These things are just as much deeds of the flesh as sleeping around and getting drunk. Can I hear an amen? And what is that spirit of sedition and heresy? It is a spirit of division. Look at it. Selfish ambition. This is verse 20. Dissensions, factions, and envy. And once again, dissensions there coming as well as heresies in the Greek. Go ahead and right-click on dissensions. Go on factions as well. Let's see there. Let's see which one is heresy in the King James. It's one of these words that is going to be your word for heresy. And it literally means to tear apart. As we wait here on this thing, it's not that one. Go to the other one. That's probably for division. Now go to factions. There we go. Heresies. Everybody see it right here? Heresies, factions, sect. Well, what it means here, and this is why it puts it in the English, if you could go here so we can see it again. A faction, the reason why the actual word heresy can go to the English word faction is it's a sect. It's something that tears apart. It's something that is uh, dividing. Dissension and faction are very similar, just like envy and jealousy are similar. Can you guys say amen to that? Factions and dissensions are similar, and it's speaking towards what I'm talking about. See, the Protestant, the Protestant saying that those things had changed is actually not saying Christ can't be in the Catholic Church or the Orthodox or that Christ can't be with the Coptic or that Christ can't be with the Baptists and so forth. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying a statement of division. What we're actually protesting is people saying they have the authority to say who's in the body of Christ and who's outside the body of Christ. It was the Roman Catholic Church that was making the anathemas that if you didn't agree with them, you were anathemized. Somebody say, God have mercy. That was Martin Luther's major problem. 
when he went there and he nailed up his, his, his problems with the Roman church, it was that they are making doctrines of men to be equal to the doctrines of God. And if you don't agree with them, now you're excommunicated, considered to be separate from the church of Christ. As the old saying goes, if you go up to heaven, don't make too much noise when you pass the fundamental Baptists because they think they're the only ones there. You see, the, the Protestants ended up doing the same kind of thing when the fundamental Baptists and others came out. Well, if you're, as, as it expresses itself now, if you're not reading the King James and if you're not doing this, you're not going to heaven. Has anybody ever met a fundamental Baptist like that before? There's a few of them out there, and you'll meet them every now and then. If you're not reading out the King James, you're not reading God's Word. And if you haven't confessed the Scripture in the King James, you're not even saved. Because to be saved, you have to confess that Jesus is Lord, and you have to know what it says in the King James. And so some of them get that, that, that specific to their very doctrines. Somebody say, God, have mercy. Come on, help us, Lord. But you see what the independent church is doing, like ours, what the Protestant church like ours is doing is not separating, we're actually gathering together, and we're now admiring, and we're now appreciating the variety of Christians around the world. So the true ecumenical, and ecumenical always has a connotation in our groups as being something negative because it makes it sound like we're going to compromise to have a kumbaya with the Muslim and the Hindu and all offer up a prayer to our deity. That's not what I mean by ecumenicalism. What I mean by that in ecumenical Medicalism is actually what is said in the creed of the Catholic Church. The word Catholic means universal, in agreement together as one. Can I hear an amen? And the ecumenical spirit of Christ in John 17, that we would be one as he is one, is to recognize that Christ is in his church in all of the different parts of the body. Can I hear an amen to that? So can Christ be in the Orthodox Church right now? Yes, he can despite their traditions of men, was God in the Jewish people's lives despite the traditions of men that were there. That doesn't mean all their Jewish people were saved. It was a small number. But were some Jewish people right with God despite all these traditions and all of these things that they had done? Yes. Was God moving in the Jewish people despite all of the wicked leadership and the compromises? Were there prophets? Were there people there? Yes. Is God with the Baptists? Yes, is God with the Lutherans. So when they say to us, you've gotten rid of one pope and now you have all of these other popes, 40,000 denominations, we say the devil is a liar. You've missed the entire point of Protestantism. The entire point of Protestantism is to say we're one church. We're one body. And not one group gets the right to anathemize another group based on their traditions. I wish somebody would get that this morning because that's the power of the local church. We're not saying because I'm not with Peter, that because you're with Peter and I'm with Paul, I'm not saying that now you and I are divided. That's the spirit of division, as Paul said, going back to Corinthians. Please put it up there in 1 Corinthians 1.10. The spirit of division isn't that there's multiple apostles starting different churches that have different ways about them. That's not the division. That's the body. Amen? The division is when one says, I'm with this one, I'm, you're with that one, and we're no longer together. The one, in other words, who excommunicates and anathemizes and becomes uh, you know, ethnocentric towards their own and, and becomes proud in their own, that is the divisive one. 
So should Christians be the most ecumenical people in the body of Christ with other Christians? Absolutely. Now, can we do that with the Mormon? No, because the Mormon has a different Christ, don't they? Don't they? Can we do that with the Jehovah Witness? No, they got a different Christ. But we can do that with all people who believe in the blessed trinity of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, who believe in the deity of Christ coming in the flesh, dying on the cross, being buried, rising again on the third day. Come on, somebody. Who put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ, believe in his second coming to come and rule the world and to judge the world, and to believe in the good works of the scriptures. How many believe that there's good works to be done from these scriptures? At the end of the day, you, you, you take away the traditions of our different denominations and you ask a Catholic, you ask a Baptist, you ask anybody, what is the good work of the Scripture? We're all saying it's the same thing, to love God, to love neighbor, to preach his word, to help the poor. Are you listening today? And that's why it's important for us to understand what is Metro praise in this city. Metro praise is a unique description and a unique uh, personality, a, a unique part of the body of Christ. But we are not claiming, we're not claiming to be ethnocentric. We're not claiming that our culture, our race, or our way of doing things is the only way or the best way. What we're saying is, well, this is the way God called us to do it. Can I hear an amen to that? Now go with me to the notes then. Because I want you to see now as we start this year, we need to be in agreement about what we do here. And there should be a purpose for what we're doing here and a vision. And then now that kind of the way we do things in the church should be the same way you do things in your life. So let's go to that next slide, please. And let's look at these three scriptures. The first one is the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So we have to have a vision. Why do we exist as a body here in this local congregation, 5405 West Diversity? Well, we're here because of all those things that are important to us. What's important to us here? What has God told us to do? Well, he's told us to win souls, make disciples, right? He's told us to do it in this way. There's a uniqueness about the way we win souls and make disciples. I'm not saying we're the only ones. I'm just saying we're unique. I'm not saying, and I've gave this example the last time I talked about, but this is good to repeat. I'm not saying my marriage is the only marriage in Chicago, but my marriage is a unique marriage. How many understand that? There's a unique personality, a unique way that our relationship flows. It's not like your marriage. It's different. It doesn't mean it's better or yours is worse or yours is better and mine is worse. It just means there's a uniqueness. And that's the same thing here. Number one, it's unique because you're here and you're not over there. That's unique, isn't it? And so now when you express how to win souls and make disciples, that's going to be unique. And just like they're going to be unique over there. So we need to have a vision. Number two, Habakkuk chapter two, verses two through three says, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Somebody say, write the vision. Thank you. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak. It will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And as you see in our church, we have written out our vision. We have written out our purpose. We recite it every week. We want to remind it to you. Why? So that you can run with it. We want you to know why we're here, why we're doing what we do. Maybe other churches don't do that. I know that I used to go to church that it didn't. I didn't know why we were there other than to love Jesus and sing songs. But how many know you know why you're here? Like how many get that? Like every week, I know why I'm here. I'm going to love God and love people. 
I'm going to connect, mentor, send. I'm going to set my heart on 100,000 disciples here, 50 churches, 500 around the world. Now, if somebody goes, well, I don't want to do that. Well, let me just tell you, there's 10 churches right down the road that aren't doing that either. You can go with them. (laughs) Could I hear an amen to that? It's like, I don't like that you guys evangelize all the time. Okay, well, there's 10 other churches that don't, and they're ready ready to accept you just as a Sunday morning pew sitting, shouting and hollering Christian. Just as long as you clap for their preacher, just as long as you drop your offering in the bucket, they'll be happy you don't evangelize because they don't feel guilty then. So it's not like it's hard to find somebody not doing what we're doing. I've often said to people who have left this church, who's who's like, well, I love what you guys are doing. I just don't like these little things about you. Sometimes I just want to offer them, sister, 20 20 bucks. You find someone that does half of what we do here is 20 bucks. Because I'm not saying we're the only ones. I'm just saying we're one of the few. I'm not saying we're the only ones. We're just one of the few because I know the work that goes into this. And I know how much easier it is to build a church based on entertainment than it is to build it on discipleship. How many know, especially the leaders here, there's a difference between discipleship and membership? Like, membership is easy. Come over to our house or after service every week, we'll have a a little meal with the pastor, two-hour meal and membership discussion. How many know that's easy? How many know one-on-one discipleship is hard? Praise God. But I'm glad we're doing it. But you got to write down the vision. And then number three, Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead to what? Profit, thank you. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So let's put this together. Go to the next slide, please. Number one, we get a vision. We have to learn the vision that God has for us. Number two, we record and we share that vision. And then number three, we make plans to diligently bring about that vision. Do you see what the church is doing? I said, do you see what the church is doing? Our church. I'm talking about us right here. You see this? I mean, do do you see a vision right here? Okay, here it is, okay? It has been recorded. Now you are to read it and run and make plans to make it happen. Well, now apply that to your everyday life because I don't just want to start off the year with us being all excited about Metro Praise International, what we're doing. I want us to be excited about what you're doing too. What are you doing tomorrow? Where's your job at? What's your family doing? What are your goals for this year? Well, here's how you do it. Receive the vision from the Lord. What is the vision for your marriage this year? What is the vision for your children? What is the vision for your job? As we've talked about before, we have not because we ask not. And we ask not because we believe not. And we believe not because we know not. Can I hear an amen to that? That was a whole message for another service, but I want to say it again to you right now. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. So we're not asking God for the things that he gave us because we don't know about it. It's like, I don't know God wants me to have a blessed marriage, so I don't ask for it. I I don't know that God wants me to prosper on my job, so I'm not even asking for it. I didn't know that God wanted me to, you know, multiply my Bible study, so I'm not asking for it. But if you know and you believe, you're going to ask for it. So somebody say, you have not because you ask not. You ask not because you believe not. You believe not because you know not. Amen. Now start from the, the opposite side and say, when I know, I'll believe. When I believe, I receive. There you go. See, it just do the opposite of what you've been doing to get what you need to get by doing the right thing. If you want what you have, keep doing it. If you don't like what you have, do something you've never done before. Can I hear an amen to that? 
So in other words, if you like where you're at and you're happy and you don't want anything to change and just keep doing what you're doing, there are some things that work that way. But for those of us who want to see 100,000, I've got to go beyond where I've been. I've got to do what I've never done before. That means this year has got to be different than last year if I'm going to get closer to 100,000. That means I just can't even just have the vision in one sense and just keep saying it every year like we do here. I have to now have specific things this year that I'm going to do to see that vision come to pass. What are you going to do for your marriage? What are you going to do for your job? What are you going to do for your finances? The world will tell you this works. How many know the world is doing this right now? They're setting their goals. Maybe some of you in your companies, you've already gone through your goal setting with your company. Already some of you have had to write down what you're expecting to have happen this year. Those of you who don't, I'm sorry, your company is going to lose while other ones going to win. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. There's a reason why Radio Shack ain't here, but Best Buy still is. Hello. There's a reason why Walmart's here and Kmart's not. If some of you are working for Kmart, you better get ready to switch to Walmart unless they get some vision. Can I hear an amen to that? This is how it works. I'm just being honest with you. You need to have a vision. Or somebody else with their vision is going to take you over. The reason why Hitler worked in Germany is because he had a vision. He had a demonic vision, but he had a vision. How many know that's how it worked? Because he received it from a demon, and then what did he do? He recorded it. He made some banners around it. He spoke about it all the time, and then he made diligent plans to take over Poland. And how many know the Polish people might not have liked his vision, but they, were, they saw the swastika get raised over their nation? And I come from a Polish heritage. The reason why the Poles got their butts kicked is because they didn't have a vision for a military. The reason why Germany won is because they had a vision for a military. You can cry all you want about it, but you got to get to work. God never taught us to look at the ground and shed a tear and say, well, that's how you're going to grow a crop. God never taught you that, and he never said that. God said, if you want to grow a crop, you better get out there and work. Please go back to that scripture about the diligent. I'm tired of non-Christians beating Christians. It's time that we whoop on them in Jesus' name. I'm talking about in the world, not physically. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Well, nobody on my job likes me, and they keep getting promoted over me, and you know what, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to stop trying. Well, let me just tell you something. With that attitude, you're going to keep being a loser. If you want to stop being a loser and start being a winner, you need to act like a winner. I'm tired of seeing us lose. How many are tired of seeing us lose? Take that loss, turn it into a lesson. Take that setback and see it as a setup. That's just the bottom line. Christians should be the best doctors because we're doctoring unto the Lord. We should be the best health and you know in the health service industry because we're doing it unto the Lord. We should be the best in customer service because we're doing it unto the Lord. We should be the best in all that we do. And if you're getting beat right now, just learn the lesson and start winning in Jesus' name. I'm not putting you down if you're losing because I've lost and I still lose at times. But listen, you get back up. And let me just tell you something. You draw a line in the sand. And you tell the devil, there is going to be two things that are going to happen right here and now. Number one, I am standing here. Number two, you are falling here. Do you understand? You look at the devil, you look at the enemy, and you tell them this line has been drawn. I will stand, you will fall. How long? Until you fall. Well, what if it's not easy? Until you fall, I stand. That's what a person does who's more than a conqueror. 
You look at your generation right now, they're going to hell in a handbasket, right? They all don't know their sexuality. They're promoting Cardi B. They're wiling out. You draw a line in the sand and you look at this generation, you look at these high schools and colleges and you say two things. Number one, I will stand here in Jesus' name. And number two, these young people will fall before the feet of Jesus. I will see revival in this land. How long will I stand for until I see them fall and worship Jesus with me? That's what it takes. There is no other way around it. The farmer, look at what the Bible says, if a man don't work, he don't eat. If the farmer did not get out there and have that kind of an attitude, he wouldn't have a crop. I'm reminded of the stories of Christians who have started with little to nothing and how God has blessed them over the years. I'm reminded, and I talked all about this in revival. Uh, I preached a message on revival in second service. If this interests you, check it out. Because I talked about the history of America and people who even stood up against the Puritans and said, we will not treat the Native Americans. Put it up there for me, please. Roger Williams. Roger Williams was one of the first Christians in this land who stood up against the Puritans and said, hold on, man, you're mistreating the Native Americans. And they began to stand up for the Native Americans in the name of Jesus. And remember the Salem witch trial and all that stuff went down before they burned the pastors. And they did burn a pastor at that trial. They kicked him out. And thank God they did because he got to travel around and spread his message. Do not let people point to any part of our history, either as America or even in the Christian church, just looking at those two things and say that there weren't godly people standing for righteousness all along the way. Can I hear an amen? Look at this brother right here. Did you even hear about this person in class? More likely you didn't. Most of what people are learning right now is that everybody was a racist. Everybody was owning a slave. Everybody who came on the Mayflower wanted to kill a Native American. But look at what it says. He was a theologian who became this person of Rhode Island. See, Rhode Island owes much of what they have today and their freedom to this man. He was a staunch advocate for religious freedom, separation of church and state. Listen to me, you atheist nincompoop. That didn't come from you. That came from Christians. Dansbury Baptist wanted to make sure when he wrote Thomas Jefferson that a state church wouldn't mess with him. Why? Because the Baptists were being drowned by the Presbyterians in England for believing in adult baptism. The Baptists wanted to ensure their safety. And it's it's a good thing for separation of church to say that came from Christians. Can I hear an amen to that? Oh, just go up a little bit. I don't have time to get all into this, but I had to call an atheist a nincompoop. Every now and then I have to do that. You know what I'm saying here? Just go up right here. Salem, right here. Just right there. As a separatist, Williams considered the Church of England irredeemably corrupt and believed that one must completely separate from it to establish a new church for the true and proper worship of God. Can I hear an amen to that? That's what we're talking about. And I'm glad he did that because he foresaw what we see now, Church of England ordaining homosexuals. How many know that happened in the Church of England? Just like now you have the Pope saying, well, we won't marry you, but we'll bless you. You know, It's the same type of compromise. It's always been up in those churches, compromise, compromise, compromise. Now look at this. The Salem Church was also inclined to separatism, so they invited him to become their teacher. And, and in response, leaders in Boston vigorously protested, leading Salem to withdraw its offer. So Salem said, hey, we kind of agree with you. Come on over here. Come t- teach our people. But then when Boston said, hey, we don't like this guy, they said, well, now you got to go. As of the summer of 1631 ended, William moves to Plymouth County where he was welcomed and formally assisted the minister. At Plymouth, he regularly preached right here, and he wrote his teachings were well approved. Now, after a certain time right here, he was then kicked out. Keep on going. Oh, let's, let's uh, uh, yeah, go to the litigation next. I don't have time to talk about it. We're going to talk about Jesus, though. Amen. 
Just go, Massachusetts Bay authorities were not pleased that Williams returned. In 1633, they summoned him to appear before the general court in Boston, defend his track, attacking the king in the charter. The issue was smoothed out, and the track disappeared forever, probably burned. This is by other Christians in the United States. In August 1634, Williams became acting pastor of Salem Church, okay, after this person had died. And then what they're going to do is they're going to kick him out. Keep going now. Finally, the court did this. And right here. Finally, the general court tried Williams in 1635 and convicted him of sedition and what? Heresy. They declared that he was spreading diverse, new, and dangerous opinions that all men were created equal and that we shouldn't be under one church and ordered that he be banished. The execution of the order was delayed because of this, because he was ill. Did you even know that there were Christians around at that time fighting good fights? It would be just the same as if somebody here in Chicago said, all those churches are corrupt. You need to say, hold on, I know of one that's not, 5405 West Diversity. All these pastors want your money. No, come on up, 454 West Diversity. Come on up. All these Christians are hypocrites. Not over here. Once you found out, you got the, you got the ultimatum. Repent or roll on out because we're keeping this hypocrite free. Amen. Can I hear amen to that? Y'all clap. They think you're crazy, but you might as well say Amen. Come on, that's what we believe. Now, a hypocrite is not someone who sins. It's someone who pretends they're not sinning and then acts like somebody else, right? That's the difference. We're not saying if you have a mistake, you're not welcome in the church. We're just saying if you want to live in that mistake and then pretend to be a Christian, this is not for you. We're done with that. How many are glad somebody like that stood up? Amen. Go back to our notes, please. Brothers and sisters, you have to have a vision. This brother had a vision for what United States of America could be. He paid a price for that. See, they weren't just playing make-believe. They started universities. They started colleges. Just put this up here, Oberlin University, uh, Oberlin College. It's like the milk, Oberlin. Put it up there, please. I just want to show you this because so often when we talk about this, you think I'm just talking about church on Sunday. I'm not. I'm telling you what Christians have done to change the world. How many want to change the world? Oberlin College was the first college, or one of them, to graduate African-Americans and African-American women, uh, women of all colors, and then especially African-American women. Now, when you learn about, you know, we just heard about Martin Luther King Day and all of these things. When we learn about the civil rights, and I wish I could talk to some of the African-Americans here, did you ever hear that the Christian colleges were the ones that were fighting for the freedom before the war even broke out? Did you learn about people like this? Look at this right here. Look at this. Founded in 1833. It's the oldest co-educational liberal arts school in the United States, second oldest, you know, with right here in the world. So that means co-education. That means male and female. Can I hear an amen to that? Somebody Google when the Civil War was. Just Google when it was. Google, I believe it was 1860-something. When was the Civil War? 18 what? And scroll up now here a little bit, please. Go up here. There you go. Stop right there. When was the Civil War? 18, 1861. So this, is, this school was established 30-plus years beforehand. Are you guys listening to me? Now look, it founded in 1833. The college founders wrote voluminously and featured predominantly in the, in the press, especially the abolitionist newspaper, The Liberator. Do you see what Christians were doing years before the Civil War? These are the reasons why there was a civil war. Now, if we could scroll down, you're going to see somewhere in here, Charles Finn. There he was. Look at this. Its immediate background was the wave of Christian revivals. So this college was in the background of a wave of Christian revivals in the western New York state. When you think of that being the most liberal area, this is where the wave of revival was hitting the hardest, in which Charles Finney was involved in the 1830s. 
And Charles Finney is one of the great revivalists that led to what we now see as modern evangelism like Billy Graham, D.L. Moody, and so forth. Charles Finney was also the president of that Bible college. Think about this, brothers and sisters. Go back to the notes, please. What is your vision? Somebody had to have a vision that slavery could end while slavery was happening. You want to talk about being intimidated? Imagine that. I mean, abortion is bad and it's evil, but you don't see it every day, right? Like, unless you go to the abortion clinic, you really don't see it. Can I hear an amen to that? How many know you saw slavery every day, though? I mean, you saw that mistreatment every single, I mean, you want to talk of wearing on you. How can this ever stop? How can we see a break? You had to have a vision. It's like the same thing right now when I go out to the colleges or to the downtown area and I look around and it's like nobody's living for Jesus. And it kind of wears on you and it gets you to feel like, man, maybe this will never change. Brothers and sisters, we're not the first ones to face an environment or a culture that doesn't want God. I love what one man said. He was looking at an old story of missionaries, and he said, this is how we need to think about it today. Because when the one missionary showed up, he said, man, nobody loves Jesus here, and I think they all want to kill us. The other missionary said, guess what? Nobody loves Jesus here, and I'm willing to lay down my life for them. See, which missionary are you like? Get me out of here. Nobody loves Jesus. Or are you the missionary that says, thank God I got a job? If you were selling shoes and you went to a place and nobody had shoes, would you be happy or sad? You should be happy, right? I'm going to sell you shoes. See, we're Christians. We belong in places like Chicago. We were made for cultures like this. You were made. You were born and bred in the fires of adversity to be here in 2024. You were meant to live in a time of transgenderism. I know some of you wish you could be on Little House on the Prairie, but if God wanted you on Little House on the Prairie, that's where you would have been born. You've been born in the time of, uh, you know, WAP with Cardi B. That's when you've been born. Are you listening? That's when you've been. This is your generation. Your generation isn't, come on, baby, let's do the twist. Your generation is Cardi B. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to complain? Well, I don't got anybody here that wants to listen to me. Nobody here wants to come to church. Are you going to say, thank God, I got a lot of work on my hands to do. I'm going to stay busy every day of my life reaching these sinners for Jesus. That's what I'm here to do. Jesus, when he saw the the multitudes, what did he say? The harvest is ready. It's ripe unto harvest right now. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I still believe that. I believe we don't have a harvest problem. I believe we have a labor problem. I believe we don't have enough hitting the streets and preaching the gospel. I don't believe that we have, you know, overextended ourselves or have come to the point where it's like, well, we've told them all it's time to kick the dust off our feet. I still meet people in Chicago that have never heard the gospel, that don't understand a thing about it, and when they do, they get radically touched by it. Not every time, but I've seen people who have never heard the gospel get radically touched by the gospel. How many have seen that before? They didn't understand it. They only knew tradition. But when they hear the gospel, it transforms them. I'm going to keep doing that. How many glad you are here today? Amen. Let's go to our next slide. This is what Metro Praise is about. Somebody say, this is what we about. Amen. This is what we do. We are a city of praise. 
bringing God's glory to the nations. Jeremiah 33, 9. Then the city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on the earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. They will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. In context, this is the new Jerusalem coming to earth. This is where we will rule and reign with Christ forever. But right now, until Christ comes, we are the temple. Point to where the temple of the Holy Spirit is. Amen. Then you're the city of God. You are the place of God, and you are to bring God praise that brings forth the attention of the nations. How many have multi-international uh, people around you in your everyday life? Your testimony is supposed to bring God glory to their nation. We've already had people walk into this door while I have mentioned the nation of Ethiopia and then be an Ethiopian doctor, tell Pastor Birdo and say, how does that pastor even know to talk about me and my people? I mean, imagine all the American churches he's been to and probably never even heard Ethiopia mentioned, let alone I'm talking about it in context, right? And it just blessed him. Why? Because Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer for what? The nations. The nations are on our heart. So Metro City, that's where we get our name. Praise is obviously praise. And then Nations International. Let's go to our final slide. How many are ready for the message now? Amen. This is where I wanted to get you. That was all introduction and review. How many enjoyed it? I hope you learned something because I saw some of you weren't here at that time I spoke about it. But now this is what we have to do to, to make our decision. Are we willing, committed, faithful, generous, sacrificial, dedicated, humble, eager, trustworthy, and hungry for God? This is where I'm at today. This is all I know to offer you. This is my gift to you. I don't have, and maybe we will one day. Honestly, I want a big facility. When we did our end of the year review, we talked about we want 50 facilities, like, you know, like what the Catholics have with the schools and the auditoriums. I mean, we want to have what St. Viator has in Jesus' name. But we're not jealous, amen? We're thankful for whatever good they've done with those things, but God, give us 50 more. Because how many know we need more of these than cannabis dispensaries? How many have seen cannabis dispensaries come up around your neighborhood? They're everywhere now. I want to get high. No, no, get high on the most high, right? It's time to stop smoking weed. I mean, this is where our culture has come to because they don't have Jesus anymore. Because think about this. Because they don't have good leaders in their life, they go to counselors all the time. They're just as messed up as them. Because they don't have Jesus in their life, they're doing drugs like they never have before. Because they're not happy in their sexuality, they're having more STDs and more sexual confusion than ever before. Let's go back to the Bible. Let's do it God's way and see him bless this land. Amen? Number one, we got to be willing to love God and others with everything we have. Matthew 22, 33, uh, 22, 37 through 39 talks about loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, neighbor as self. How many know that will never get old? How many know that will challenge you every day of your life? How many husbands and wives can say amen? Come on. Every day you're going to learn to love that spouse. Amen. Every day you're going to learn to enjoy them. How many parents can say amen to that? Man, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've expanded my love for my kids as they've gotten older. I've expanded my love for my children as I've had more of them. I remember just having one, and I was like, how can I love a second one? And then my heart just expanded. And then even with my wife, you know, sometimes people talked about it, and it made me feel a little nervous, you know, like how can I be happy with just one woman? You know, that's a, that's a big deal for a player or a guy like myself who in the world was always running around. But I trusted the Lord. I trusted the Lord that he would give me eyes only for my wife. But uh, I, I would say this in one way. There's a new personality or a new person in my wife that I meet every year, half kid. So it, does, it, it always stays interesting, half kid. Uh, so it's not that I've just married one. I've married a few. How many are in there? We are legion. No, I'm kidding. It's not like that. It's not like that. I know. I shouldn't have said that. I'm glad she's not here right now. But I have learned 
about 500 personality traits of my wife, and I'm figuring out there's still more to come. There's still more to come. But other than that kind of a, a silly way of looking at it, no, as, as I've gotten to know her more, I get to see more about her because I've never known her as a 40-year-old. I've never known her as a 41-year-old. So you see, there's a, new, there's a new aspect of her life. I've never known her as a mother of six. I, you know, I knew her as a mother of five. Then I know her as a mother of six. And then I've never known her as a mother of a teenager or a mother that's done these things. And so you see their life develop. And the way I look at it, and I've said this before, as, as with men oftentimes saying they're going to go for a younger woman, And and the argument that sometimes they say is, man, can you blame me? I'm just attracted to the 21-year-old, the 25-year-old. I'm not attracted to a senior citizen. You know, I've heard this even from elderly people. I'm not attracted to that. I'm attracted to 21. And how many know that can make sense on the surface? On the surface, that can make sense. I get it. When when you look at an old woman, most of the time you don't think that that's the most amazing thing. You might look at a model or Miss America. There's a reason why Miss America is not 90 years old, right? But how many understand this? As that person gets older, he wants that 21-year-old to love him. So he's a hypocrite, isn't he? He wants a 21-year-old that's in the height of her beauty, of her age in that way. When I say beauty in the external sense, I love what one person said. You know, uh, we all start off young and beautiful. Now we're just beautiful. Can I hear an amen to that? Because I believe that. That's one of my most famous sayings right there, is that we were young once and beautiful, now we're just beautiful. Because you don't stay young forever, but you can stay beautiful forever in God's eyes. You're precious in his sight, amen? But going, but going back to this, I say to that man, you want someone to love you with the gray hair, with the wrinkles, with the body parts not in the place as it was in, when you were 21 years old. But you don't want to love a woman through those stages. You're a hypocrite. So as I look at my parents, Lord willing, we'll, we'll get to see them if the weather's cooperating. We're expecting some ice storms here. Hopefully we can get out. But this was the, the plan of the trip this, this week. My parents are 80, you know. And when you look at them and you look at the, the, you know, the time when they got married, of course they look different. And, and sometimes, you know, like I, you know, I look at them and I'm like, do you guys still, you know, you know what I'm saying, PG here. I'm just, you know. Because it just kind of looks weird now. You know, it does. I mean, there's a lot of flapping going on. There's a lot of turkey neck. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff here. There's a lot of stuff. And I'm just being nice to my parents. And then I'll get probably more than I was expecting. They'll say, oh, yeah, it's good. You know, we're doing great. Then I'm like a little bit like, ugh. ugh. I was a little bit TMI there. We went a little bit too far into that journey. But I'm like, that would make sense. Why wouldn't you want to love that person? Because you're like that person. The husband or wife at that age are like a mirror of each other. I want my wife to love me at 80 when I look 80, so I need to love her when she's 80. And here's the thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love yourself at 80 in the way God made you, you'll love others who are 80. So the man that can't love that woman that's in her 20s, uh, you know, that, that's in her 40s, or, or rather in her 50s or 60s, but he wants to be loved at that age, really doesn't love himself at that age because he can't love someone else in that age. Does everybody get that? And it gets challenging, not just in marriage and family, but it gets challenging with the ministries and the things that we do in the church because now I have to love you. I have to love you as your life grows and expands, and you have to love me. And sometimes our personalities even change in the church, and I have to understand that you're not the same one you used to be, that you're growing, that you're getting older, and we have to be patient with each other and give each other grace and space. Can I hear an amen? I mean, if you used to be young, let's say, like, I've been pastoring here for a while, right? 
I, I've watched people go from being single to being married to having kids. I don't hang out with them as much as I used to. They don't do much. Uh, I don't say they don't do much, but they don't do as much as they used to around the church because maybe they're busier and so forth. Should I judge them for that? Should I put them down? And then the same thing is some of you remember me when, you know, my wife and I were just newly married and we would have people over at the house or go out to dinner all the time. Can you blame me for not doing that all the time now with six kids? Can I hear an amen to that? Let's be gracious to each other. As one pastor said, and I love to, to look at it like this, in your Bible, you have books. Inside those books, you have chapters. Inside those chapters, you have verses. Some people in your life are going to be a verse. Some people are going to be a chapter. Some people are going to be a book. Amen? And you need to let people move in and out of the places they need to be. How many have had some great relationships in this church, but they're just a verse? It's not the whole chapter. And, and maybe they're still even in the church, but you guys don't hang out like you used to, or maybe they left the church, but they, they have a special place in your life because that was a verse that you guys shared together. That was a portion of your life. How many know there's others here that they're a chapter of your life and maybe multiple chapters and you've gone through things together, but how many know even sometimes chapters change? And then you have people that you share a whole book with. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, you have to let people come and go from your life as the Lord leads them, not to put pressure on them. As one person said, if someone can leave, let them. How many know that's true? If someone can leave, you let them. So oftentimes, my wife and I would get in arguments about people in church because they would leave, and I would want to hunt them down. And she would say, how's that working? And it's not working well, but I want to try again with this person. I'm, I'm telling you, man, you know, because I took it personal. Somebody leaves the church. Oh, they're leaving the church. And oftentimes I would even bypass our leaders. And I would say, okay, well, you've talked to so-and-so, and, and, and they were probably good, but I'm the pastor. And I didn't say it like that, but that's really what I mean. But now you're talking to me, the one who loves you this and you know I'm awesome, so I'm going to get you to stay. And three hours later, they would say the same thing to me that they had said to one of our leaders. Well, sorry, Pastor, I'm just not feeling called here anymore. So now that's why I give people the gift of goodbye. I don't mean to brush you off. It's just when you say goodbye, I'm just like, cool, goodbye. Seriously, I, <laughs> it's going to make me laugh now. I had one like long-standing elder in our church come up one Sunday and hand me a letter and say, this is my letter of resignation, like as if we were going to go on for a month and two weeks after that. And I just said, hey, brother, let me just pray for you right now. Lord, bless them and keep them. Have a wonderful life. Amen. God bless you, brother. This is your last Sunday. We'll see you when we see you. And I don't think I've seen him <laughs> since then. I'll be honest with you. Why? Because that's not my job. My job is not now to say, like, how can we now carnally keep you in the book of our life? If you feel God told you to roll out, I don't have any condemnation towards you. I didn't say he's going to hell, did I? I didn't say he wasn't a Christian. I didn't even say he didn't hear from God. I just said goodbye. And sometimes people <laughs> say this to me. I'm getting free right now, by the way. This is totally not in the notes. Holy Ghost, thank you, Jesus. I've had people leave this church and then get mad that we don't stay in touch with them. Stupid is as stupid does, dude. You don't want to hang out here anymore, but you want me to go out of my way to hang out with you. What are you on, dude? Well, I don't go to that church anymore. Nobody calls me. Yeah, because you don't go to that church anymore. What do you want us to do? Just hunt down everybody who left our church and call them? Well, how's that other church going? Oh, that's great, great, great. Okay. All right. Well, I guess I'll talk to you later then. 
What did we talk about here? Most of the time we talked about church and what we were doing. Now, that's great. You guys want to keep friends outside of other churches. I love one person said it's not a gang. Like you leave a church, you can't hang out because you left the gang. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if you really loved Metro Praise people and you wanted a phone call from Metro Praise people, here's an idea. Go to church with Metro Praise people. If you want us in your life, go to the church that we go to. Otherwise, I got other people to call this week. Are you guys tracking with me? I've got to talk to my wife. I've got to talk to six kids and make sure they make it to heaven. I've got leaders and pastors and all these people to keep track of. And now you want me to call you up and see how you're doing at the other church. You simpleton. I mean, it's, it's, it's immaturity. It's foolishness. Well, nobody at that job calls me anymore. Yeah, because you don't work there anymore. Hey, we're just calling you up to see how your customer service is going now at T-Mobile. Just wanted to see. I mean, we know you used to work here at Verizon, but now we just want to see how it's going at T-Mobile. How many know that's just silly? But if you want to stay friends with people, how about this? Why don't you call them? This is why I always say to them, well, have you tried calling them? No, I'm waiting for them to call me. The Bible says if you want friends, be friendly. If you left Metro Praise, somebody's getting free with me. If you've left Metro Praise and you still want to hang out with Metro Praise people, here's a great idea. Call them and hang out with them. The people that I'm thinking of have never called me after leaving for wanting to hang out, and yet they criticize we don't call them anymore. Okay? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Brothers and sisters, love people where they're at. Let people come and go out of your life. Do this in your business. I mean, look, let's think about it. Every one of you here is a part of a business where I'm sure you have 10 competitors in this city. You do roofing, right, brother? 10 competitors that you can name right now. If I said I'll give you $10 for every competitor that you name, you can name them quickly. Couldn't you? you'd walk out of here with $100. Your brother, you work for the city. You do what? Engineering for our city? How many engineers are on your job? A lot. Are they competing for raises, promotions, vacation days, and all? Yeah. Same thing. Everything. Nini's Deli. How many Latino restaurants in the city, right? Everyone here, you know this. If you're going to be the best, you got to go out there and do the best. If you want the best kind of friends, you need to be the best kind of friend. If you want the promotion this year, you need to go out there and do it. And here's the way God tells us to do it. First and foremost, love him and love others. At the end of the day, this is, my, this is in my heart. Do I love that brother? Absolutely. I love him the brother who gave me that letter and said, I'm a, I love that. I have nothing against that. brother. I want that brother to succeed. But I know for my purpose, I can't hang around with where he's at because that's not what I'm on right now. What I'm on is building this vision right here. Amen. It would be like me hanging out with another woman going, hey, you know, what? I'm just checking on your family today because we were friends growing up. My wife would be like, Jack, you better get home. <laughs> Are you not going to have a family here? Are you like, are you guys listening to me? It's like, man, spend time with your family. And, and the Bible talks about this. Spend time in your garden. Develop it. Don't get so concerned about people who come and go. I, I even think about this with the woman who cuts my hair. Yes, she'll see me, what, every other couple months because sometimes she's not available. I go to the other one. But when I show up to get my hair cut there, how many know she's nice to me? How many know she could jerk me by the hair and go, where you been? I can see I wasn't the one cutting this. Let me just talk to you a little bit. Just kind of give me a big bald spot there in the back. So I don't teach him. No, it's the same thing. If that brother walked through that door today and said, hey, man, I want to do something radical for God, let's go, bro. I'm not holding it against you. The same thing. If you lose a customer, keep your hands out to see if they come back again. You know, hey, man, I'm always out here if you need me. And if they come and shake that hand, then receive them as a customer again. Amen? Keep going with people as far as they want to go with you. And when they want to go goodbye, you let them go. Number two, be committed to Jesus' kingdom on earth in the church. 
There are certain things we don't walk away from, and that's Jesus and his church. We stay committed to Christ and his calling on our lives. This is where God is building the kingdom of God in my life. I cannot speak to what God is doing other places. I know what God is doing here. I'm committed to this here. How many are committed to what God is doing here? That means if, if, I, if I win the lottery, I'm paying my tithes here. That means if I become a billionaire because I come up with the next Facebook app, I'm giving the resources here. That's where you need to decide, where am I developing my kingdom gifts? Where am I going to serve? Where am I going to bring up my children, reach out with my youth? How many are glad that you have a place to serve Jesus here? Amen. Then be faithful then you got to be faithful. Don't give up. Faithful to your family, faithful to church, faithful to your calling. How many believe faithfulness is important to fruitfulness? Everything we do starts from faithfulness. I never would have seen six children become what they are today unless I was faithful to my wife. Men that want to be fathers but don't want to be husbands are doing it wrong. Mothers that don't want to be wives are doing it wrong. Now, can people do you wrong and divorce you? Absolutely. I'm not saying people won't do you wrong. I'm just saying, how does fruitfulness work in the family? By being faithful. How does it work in the church? By being faithful. How does it work with your calling? By being faithful. How many know we should have new musicians up here, but some aren't being faithful to their gifts? And I wish I could point at some right now. Just give them a little wink. Give them a little winkity wink. There should be a new band up here every month because there's so many in this church that have uh, abilities to sing and do uh, music, but they don't want to. We should have more than enough youth leaders. We should have more than enough children's workers. We should have more than enough Bible study leaders. Why? Because everybody says, I'm here to work. I'm here to go. Do you think anybody gets paid on their job this week that doesn't work? I'm talking at a good company. I'm not talking about uh, some crazy company. I'm talking about like the company Brother Daryl works for. Is anybody getting paid on your job this week that doesn't work? I'm not talking about disability, and I'm talking about, you know, they got vacation time. I'm talking about when they show up, they getting paid if they don't work. How do we think we're getting rewards in heaven if we don't put in work in this kingdom? Everybody in this church needs to find a job and be a part of it. Be a part of what we do going to the uh, juvenile center. Be a part of what we do going to the abortion clinic. I mean, literally, there is something for everyone. And I know you can't do everything but do something for someone. Amen? Number four, be generous in your giving of time and talents to spread the gospel. I know sometimes it's not easy to give a tithe. It's not always easy to give an offering. But if you believe in what you're doing, you're going to give of your finances. Last week when we had Pastor Ray here, there was even like a little, man, how many, let's just be honest right now. Let me just take a moment. How many know sometimes we are stingy people, even though we don't mean to be? Just, I, we think it's wisdom. That's what I was thinking. Because here's, here's what happened in my heart when Pastor Ray came. I go, I know that he's going to tell me a sad story. I'm going to have to give to it. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being honest because every time I talk to him, dude, something is sad in the Philippines. Seriously, something sad with their building. It got destroyed. Something sad over here. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I'm just being honest. Can I, can I just be honest? I'm not being fake. So I said to myself, he's going to tell me a sad story, and I'm going to have to give. And right now, I'm just being real, man. This is so real. You may not even like me after this. But I, I felt him out, and, and he's going to tell me a sad story, and I'm going to have to give, and I don't feel like it right now. I just don't. I just don't. How many know sometimes you just do not feel like giving? You need all your little nuts that you little squirrel you have gathered up. I think of myself like a little squirrel. I, let me just tell you how much of a little squirrel I am, because I know we got a lot of little squirrels in here saving nuts, okay? I got my LASIK done, and one of the negative outcomes of getting LASIK is I am forever dry-eyed now. Brother, are you always dry-eyed? It's gone away for you. God bless you. You are healed. What's that? You've got other issues. We'll talk about that. 
So I got dry eye now. Forever in a day, I am always dry eye. And these little uh, packets that I get for water, uh, for eye droplets, if I can talk, help me, Jesus. What do you call stuff you put in your eye? Eye drops. That's what they're called. Thank you. And for whatever reason, I can't use the one that comes in a big bottle because my doctor said I couldn't. And I don't know if he owns stock in the place I'm going, but this is where I have to go according to him. So somebody talked to me, emailed me at info at mpichurch.org to help me. But I have to buy these individualized ones. Everybody ever seen these individualized ones? And they come in little plastic containers. I probably have one in my, my, my laptop. And you have to separate it, and you click off the little, the little tab, and then you put it in your eye. Let me tell you how much of a little squirrel, a little nut I am, a little squirrel with a nut. I am nuts. But let me tell you how I am. I will have these things laying all around my house, and my wife will be like, why are these things laying around? And I will say, because there's one more drop left in them. <laughs> Sister, there's one more drop. Don't throw that away. There's one more drop. How many know what I'm talking about? That's what you do. And then here comes the missionary telling his sad story. And now I got to give of these nuts. I got to get, man, I'm walking around going, I mean, you know I got the same Skechers on that I've had for two years. These are the same pants. And I've got to give, come on, somebody. How many know sometimes you don't feel like it? And let me tell you how the Lord has a sense of humor. There was a number in my mind that I said, okay, I'm going to give this. Just in my mind, I, did, I broke all of my rules. I had a bad attitude about the giving, and I wasn't even going to wait to pray when the man of God was here. I just said, I just know in my heart, this is what I'm going to give. When he came and the Lord started speaking, the Lord almost told me to triple it. How many know the Lord's got a sense of humor? Triple it. Oh my, I mean, it's almost like two and a half times the amount. And if I told you the amount, you might be like, well, that's not a big deal to me. It's a big deal to me. That was a big deal to me. And then this is what I did. I did it high on the Holy Ghost. Once first service was over between second, I went right to my computer, dropped it like it was hot, did it so I didn't have to think about it anymore. I, I just boom, 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 boom. Okay, I don't have to think about this. Jesus, I'm obedient. But it's hard. Your pastor is telling you this because I know it's not easy. I am telling you this because I'm being honest with you. We are all like little squirrels with our nuts, and we don't want to give them up. Even as generous as we all are, as he knows me to be generous. But there is just sometimes you look at your nuts in your little tree as a little squirrel, and you're like, these are my nuts. This is all I have. This is all I got. Don't ask me for my nuts. And God's like, no, you don't own a thing. You're stewarding all of my nuts. Come on, let's move away from the term nuts. <laughs> let's move away from that term. You are storing up my harvest. We don't, everybody's like, amen. All the brothers like, amen. That's where we're at, pastor. We do not want this one clipped and going around Instagram. We do want you famous, but not like that. Famous for the gospel, not for talking about God and his nuts. But those nuts belong to God. They, they're his harvest, Right? And he's saying, man, you, you're, just, you're just a steward. Now you give them like I told you to give them. And then, and then seriously, then your heart gets checked. And God spoke to me. And literally, God spoke to me. And this is the number that he gave me. He said, I want you to give a tithe, or a, it was like 5% of something of this number I had, because I can't even give the tithe of what I want to bring in this year. And he said, I want you to give that in honor of this. Like, do you trust me? Like, I'm asking, I believe it was like 20 times what I'm given, right? It's not even a tithe. It's like a 
And God is like, you give me this and I'll show you what, you give me what's in your hand, I'm going to show you what's in my hand. God is looking for people that are willing to do that this year, to go all in, not just in the church, but with their time to help others in the community. Some of you are like, man, you know, my time, my time. Look at my time, Pastor. I got all of my kids. I got all of my jobs that I have to take care of, all of my responsibilities. I don't have time for somebody else's kids. How many know what I'm talking about? But yet the Bible says, do unto others as you want done unto you. How many know every family here in this church wants to know there's a children's program for their children and a youth program for their youth? But how many know not everybody wants to volunteer to those things? Everybody wants it. Let's just be honest. Everybody wants it, but not everybody wants to give it. And I'm so thankful, and I'm proud of this church, and we do give a lot, and I don't want anybody to feel bad that I'm calling anybody out or even our church. I'm proud of our church. End of the year giving, amazing, right? I'm just saying, like, it slips up on all of us. I remember just as uh, Daryl starts to come to the keyboards, please, I remember just looking at my time, you know, how can I give more? And yet God says, you're going to give it like this, and you're going to give it like that, and I'm going to make sure your family's taken care of. Lord willing, we go down to Miami. We'll preach at Juan's new Bible study startup church over there. And how many know most of the time when you're on a vacation, you don't want to go to work? But God taught me a long time ago, your vacations is kingdom work. Whenever I'm on vacation, the Lord told me a long time ago, I want you to preach in another person's church for free. That's going to be your gift to them. And you know that all of the years that I've been doing that, that I never had a bad vacation that I've loved every bit of it, even when I came to your son's church over there in Orlando. You know that I've loved every person that I've got to meet. Why? Because the Lord told me, when you do my work, I'm working for you. I'll do your work. How many know when you carry God's heart, he carries your burdens? I'm going to say it again. How many know when you carry God's calling, God's heart, he carries your burdens? I remember when my wife and I were going to go down there and preach for him. And the hurricane had come the weekend before, and there was flooding all over the place. And I'm not speaking against my wife. She's back there. But she was like, I don't know if we can do it. And that's wisdom if we can't do it and we're going to get stuck and whatever. But I said, you know what? Let's drive there and come back. I'm willing to go that extra mile. It's not always easy. I was talking to Juan about the abortion ministry, and I was saying, brother, if every pastor just dedicated two hours to this a week, there would be pastors on this block every single day. And the Lord said, you be the first one. I wish he was here, wherever he's at. God told me to be the first pastor that dedicates to his schedule to go out there to start preaching. I was talking to Lawrence the other day about going in front of those high schools. And I was saying, man, I'm missing it so much because of this weather right now. You know, there's nowhere to park the truck. They got the snow up there. It's freezing. No one wants to stand out there. It's just not the best time to do it. I wish I could. But I told him, I said, man, I'm waiting for that. Because, you know, going out there with the truck and preaching the gospel means more to me than about 99.99% of everything I do in the church. Isn't, isn't that Jesus' heart? He left the 99 to go get the one. What are you going to do this year that's your one? Where is your one at right now? Is it the hour before your life group? You're going to come early? Is it joining an evangelism team, like I said before, with the youth ministry or children's ministry? God have mercy if we don't give it all. And here's our last one for today. We'll end at five, and Lord willing, continue it on. Sacrificial. Somebody say sacrificial. To your flesh to carry Jesus' cross of persecution. Jesus said, unless you take up your cross, uh, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You're not my disciple. 
You know what I'm noticing right now? And I'm, I'm not hating on them. I'm not, I'm really not, I'm guarding my heart. But I'm noticing a lot of sassy pastors right now this election season that shut down and waved black flags over, over the last election season. Seriously. And I hope that they learned their lesson, but they're talking really sassy. And I'm not the only one to notice this. One of these men that I follow that has a large name in social media, he's actually calling some of these guys out. And they are big name people because they're like, this election year, we will not be tore up by racism. We won't be this. And these were some of the very people that when it was time to get a shot, when it was time to shut down, nothing against getting vaccine, but they were the ones promoting it. They were hook, line, and sinker back then. Somebody say, God have mercy. And I'm just being honest with you. I don't know what this next election season has. But I can tell you this, whether it's crazy or not, there will be another time. Somebody say another time. There will be another time, mark my words, where out of the clear blue, you will have to pick up your cross and carry, carry it for Jesus. I mean, let's just be honest. I wasn't ready for COVID in the sense of like thinking that could happen. Did anybody think a nation could get shut down that fast? I remember being in Mardi Gras, 2020. I was out there in Mardi Gras, I think it was February, early March, whenever it was, and I heard like, oh, COVID is this thing that's coming through. And I'm like thinking to myself, you know, the, all the other things we had heard before about the swine flu. I'm thinking maybe a couple weeks of hysteria and that's about it. I had no idea I was about ready to be thrust into the media, be told that they were going to confiscate my building and my neighbors were going to march around here saying, we want you to die. Hello, somebody. I had no idea within a few months that would be my life or buildings that I uh, had visited would be threatened to be burned down and businesses would, would be attacked. I had no idea, but I knew that I had to carry the cross. How many are making a decision right now, no matter the cost, I will carry the cross? You just make that decision right now. That way, it doesn't matter what the devil throws at you, you're already ready. Amen? So are you willing? Are you committed? Are you faithful? Are you generous? If you're sacrificial, can you stand up and give it up for Jesus? And somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Band and altar workers, would you come? We're going all the way with Jesus. Amen. Father, we ask you to bless us today as we leave this place, but never your presence, to prepare us to be the people you've called us to be this year. With head bowed and eyes closed, if you yet don't know Jesus, that's the first thing to do is to be faithful to him, to be born again. Confess your sins even right now as we get ready to dismiss. And please come up and receive prayer from one of these brothers or sisters. For the rest of us, if you're already all in with Jesus, would you raise up your hands this year and say, God, would you do more in 2024 than I've ever seen before? Start in me. Start in my family. Start in this church. Spread out to my business. Spread out to my community. Just like you did way back when with colleges, universities, with nations. Do it with us, Father. Finances, health, marriages. May they be blessed right now in the name of Jesus. This is not superstition. This is supernatural. We are calling on the God of heaven and earth to give us a vision to record it and get people to work with us and to give us plans to see it come to pass. A few moments before we dismiss right now can change your 24. Father, I pray that no one will be the same anymore. That God, you'll do new works in us. Go deeper even in the worship team, yes. in their families, in their children. Yes. That God will have fresh vision. Yes. 
Yes, we have the big vision, many of us. We're going to stay married. We're going to have jobs. We're going to have kids. But give us the day-to-day plans, the day-to-day vision that takes us beyond the ordinary. Show us the extraordinary things, the supernatural out of our natural for this year. Lord, show us where you'll spend our lives because, Lord, all of it belongs to you. We're just stewarding our time. We're just stewarding these resources. We're yours, God. Send us, we'll go. Send us, we'll go, God. We'll go to the Bible study this week. We'll go to the evangelism. We'll go to our neighbors. We'll put in the extra hours at our job. We'll make the sacrifice. Give us the vision, Lord, and we'll do it. Who's obedient like that today? A few moments with hands raised. Say, I surrender my year to you, God. It's yours. I surrender my bank account. God, if you wanted me to do it again, I would do it again until there was nothing left if that's what you were pleased with. You've given me so much. I have no, I have no right to be stingy. I will trust you. I will trust you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a congregation that will trust you. Come hell or high water, we will stand and we will see our enemy defeated. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you, saints. Have a wonderful week. We're going to dismiss, but keep.